Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? And so fantasizing about this like imaginary life, you know, blogging from a laptop on a beach. What about actually going, this is my life and what can I do to support myself within it rather than spending my time being completely strung out and then fantasizing about something really unrealistic that's unlikely to happen. Jackie Lewis is the powerhouse behind the transformation in so many people's lives. She specializes in taking a regular stressed under the pump person and shifting them through accessible tools and practices so that they become more creative, grounded, healthier and happier. Jackie takes ancient knowledge and makes it easy to understand and easy to employ in our modern day lives. Jackie is the co-founder of The Broad Place, a global school sharing ancient knowledge and modern neuroscience tools and experiences for higher grade living. The Broad Place has an expansive offering of modern education with in-person experiences and online teachings. Jackie's a writer, educator, facilitator and speaker on clarity and high grade living and she teaches integration meditation worldwide. Departing the world of advertising, marketing and branding, Jackie now helps people who are how she herself used to be, stressed, anxious and overwhelmed, keen to change their lives for the better. An author of a couple of books, Jackie's latest book is The 14-Day Mind Cleanse, where she provides a step-by-step guide to gaining more clarity, focus and joy. It's a wonderful book full of fabulous tips and... As she's a meditation teacher, I've found those chapters particularly relevant to me personally. Jackie's such an interesting human that I couldn't wait to sit down and chat to her. Jackie Lewis, it is fabulous to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. If there is one topic that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? The fact that we're all going to die. I think that death is a highly avoided conversation. Ooh, you are talking my language, Jack. (laughs) Okay, this is going to get real. And people are just listening, going, freaking out already, going, who shit? (laughs) Like, what are we going to get into? Jack, why is this a topic that you're so passionate about? So it started off when I was little because my brother was born disabled when I was three. So I started being surrounded by the threat of his death because he was severely ill, but also being in the hospitals, I was around a lot of babies that were also dying. And then through to my work, now that I do. So I'm a meditation teacher. I'm an author. I also run lots of workshops and retreats. And I also do death walking as a as something on the side. But primarily what I've noticed is that most people come into the self-development or the spiritual space to learn about themselves. But also a lot of people come into this space because they have been diagnosed with something terminal or someone very dear to them has actually died. So they're there for to help work with their grief and with that process. They're the rare few that are really talking about death. And it's such an invitation. I think I really believe that encountering death, working with death, accepting the fact that we're going to definitely die. It's the one inevitable thing that we can't avoid in life. 
that actually is the thing that really brings us into the present moment. It helps us get really clear on what's actually important and valuable and valid and needed in our lives. And I just think it's a, a brilliant topic. I, I try to talk about it as much as I can. But do people think you're morbid? Do you get that kind of feedback? That's why I wrote the book, because people would say to me, you're weird. Why do you talk about death all the time? The frame up of it, I think, is really important. And from working with so many people that are terminal, I mean, like we all are, but you know, like that they know actually when they are going to pass, what the invitation that sits there really brings people into their hearts. It brings people into, they're much more creative. They, They really also like cut the crap in their lives. They get like, no, I'm not, you know what, those things that I don't really enjoy doing or I'm doing because I think I should or the conditioning or the pretense of society really drops away quite rapidly and they really start to honor the things that are important to them. And so it's just a gift, I think, when you can really get face to face with it. I love that. I love thinking of death as a gift. And again, people think we're weird, but the points that you just made then about these people that come to you and have these kind of conversations and, you know, they're getting really real about what's important in life. And it speaks to my soul because we miss that, you know, we get all tangled up in the little tiny shit that happens every day that doesn't really matter, right? So I love that point. One of the things you said then was death walking. What is that exactly? And for those that have never heard that term, talk to me about that because it sounds fascinating. Yeah, so death walking in essence is the process of helping somebody die. It can be on an emotional level, but also on a really practical level, you know, funeral, what that looks like. I was really stunned to learn how many moving pieces there are around the death process and also how we don't actually need to use the traditional funeral home system. And so it can also be working with the bereaved. So the a process of death walking can be working with the family of the person that's died or dying. I mean, it's quite a broad term, but the best way to describe it is there's like a doula for birth and this is like the end of life doulaing. It's And yeah, I did my training with Zena Farago. She's a phenomenal human. I believe you might know her. And she really brings the texture and the heart you know, in a very calm, stable way to dying. And we lost a dear friend of ours in January of this year. And his funeral was one of the most remarkable opportunities for healing that I've ever seen. It was just a really profound, deeply felt, really moving experience. And it was such a wonderful experience to really firsthand witness that when death is done well with integrity and intention, that it can be a very loving experience and can really shift and transform the lives of the people that are around. I want to hear more about that. That's fascinating. But you said something then about in Australia, we don't have to use the traditional funeral parlor system. I had no idea. So talk to me about that because that's news to me. I was shocked as well. I, I just, you know, assumed you, you know, had to ring the ambulance right away. And then once the person had died and they came and took the body away and then you popped into the funeral home and maybe it was an open or a closed casket, end of subject, you know, you really, I thought you chose between like cremation or burial. And that was pretty much the extent of it. But in actual fact, families can tend to the body themselves. They can bury the body. I mean, there's legalities around registrations and so forth, but you don't have to go through the process. It can be in your own home. It can be in another venue. It doesn't have to be in a parlor, a funeral parlor, and you don't even need a casket. You know, now there's beautiful caskets made. They're made from cardboard and weavings and cane. And there's all these different parts of the funeral process that I just wasn't aware originally of how actually empowering it can be and how 
moving a funeral can be as well when it's not necessarily done in a funeral parlor. I mean, it's a big business dying in regards to the state of in Australia in particular, in regards to funeral homes, big, big business. I would like to see some dismantling of that. So there's a lot of new independent funeral homes and practitioners and death walkers and so forth. It's starting to thrive and shift and change. I think it's an exciting time. And But I would really recommend for anyone listening, get your ducks in a row. You know, I've, I work with a lot of people that are dying and I was really nervous, you know, about like my own will and, um, you know, writing letters to the people that you love so that there's documentation should an accident happen and you don't have time to plan. All those things can actually, I know why we avoid them, it's really confronting. But what's more confronting is if we don't have the opportunity to do those things, we want to leave a legacy and clear and simple instructions for the people that are left behind. It's worth facing our own discomfort in the present moment so that then we can then care for and show the love and the kindness and the compassion for the people we are leaving behind so that that process for them is so much more seamless. Yeah, and you think about the will like it's such a, you know, again, legal kind of document and stuff, but what you just said then about letters and different elements and that's the stuff I think with mum, my mother was sick for 18 months, so we had the opportunity to say goodbye and say other things to her, but my dad died suddenly And so we were lucky enough that we often said all the things that we wanted to say, but it was really, you know, I often thought about that. I was like, wow, what if there was all this stuff that was left unsaid and, you know, you, you, I don't know, traumatized, that goes over and over in your mind all the time. And so if I lost a particular person in my life and I hadn't, you know, told them how I feel or reconciled over something and I kind of tend to live my life now pretty open and honest in that way because of that, I think, and having dealt with my own mortality but they're really good points and it is uncomfortable and sometimes it might take a while to write those letters or do that stuff, but it's really good advice. I think you're um, spot on there. The thing that I hear more often than not is like a lot of people come to learn to meditate because they're suddenly their soul and their heart and their value system shifts pretty dramatically. They've been told they might have a year or two to live. And they get really serious about what's important to them and having a grounded, clear mind that's connected to the heart and a stable nervous system that can support them through all the things that they're about to face becomes critically important. And they really go, no, you know what? I said I didn't have time prior and, you know, I don't have time to meditate and I don't have time to, you know, take care of myself and exercise as much as I could and, you know, really honor who I am because, you know, I'm doing all the things in life. And then when that diagnosis or something happens, so, you know, suddenly, you know, a lover or a partner may die suddenly, the person also remaining will go, okay, hang on a minute. I'm going to now start to have a look at what is really important to me. And everyone says the same thing. I wish I'd done this earlier. Like I wish I had actually given myself a longer runway to get the things that I deemed sort of like, oh, I'll, you know, get to that later. And I wish I'd honored them earlier on. And they, there's usually like a checklist of things that people really start to want to work through. So their spiritual connection. And I don't mean spiritual as in like, oh my gosh, you know, they start burning incense and wearing white linen. I mean, like, who am I on the face of the earth? How am I honoring my purpose and my soul? We would say Dharma and my reason for being. And what are the practices that I can do that will support that? How do I be healthy of body and mind? And how do I 
to be loving, kind, and compassionate and honor the people that count in my life. This is one I hear all the time. You know, people will say, I realized I was spending a lot of time with people that I didn't necessarily want to spend time with, but I felt I should. And now that my time is so limited, I'm really honoring spending time with the people that I love. That's such a beautiful sentiment. And the sad thing is it shouldn't take us looking at the end of our life to realize those things, Jack. And that's your point, right? You're trying to get people to realize actually we all are going to die. Hopefully for most of us, it's a long way away. But, you know, start living your life like that right now because it's it's what is true to our soul, right? And I think that's the point that the lessons that you learn from someone looking down the barrel of only days or months left you know, they get very crystal clear about what's important. And so those lessons and those points that you learn from them, are, they're, you know, threads of gold, aren't they? They really are. And you know, the one that I've noticed that is one of the fastest remedies for stagnancy or unhappiness or lethargy, or, you know, I would even say like depression and anxiety on a, on a greater scale, but just like a sense of hopelessness or uh, overwhelm the world. I wrote about it in the book, The 14 Day Mind Cleanse. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it because I'm so obsessed with it. <laughs> it's something I call joyriding. And it came from working with a lot of people in corporate in particular. Started really realizing that a lot of people aren't doing the things that bring them joy. I don't mean like going to the Maldives on a holiday or buying a new car. <laughs> you know, like, I, I just like the simple distilled, unique little things to us that bring us joy. So some examples of that, for example, that I was always really shocked about. You know, I would be in a room with like a whole group of guys or in finance off and they're, you know, on the trading floor and no one would ever say like making money brings me joy. When I asked people what brings them joy, they're like, oh, you know, if I stay back five minutes and have a cuddle with my kid in bed or walking my dog, you know, having a coffee at home and sitting on my deck reading a book in the bath and, you know, really simple, you know, fundamentally beautiful things. And then I would say, great. So how often do you do those things? And people are like, oh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you know, I'm busy. I have to take the job for the shortest work possible, even though, she, you know, she loves going to the park and going for a swim, but we don't have time for that. I might do it on Sundays or, oh no, I get a latte on the way to work and I, you know, I drink it in the car. And we're literally talking about 10 or 15 or 20 minutes more out of our day that makes us feel so much more alive and so much more brilliant and satisfied. Yeah, we're all on this like, you know, rat race where we just don't think that we have the time to honor that. And they're the things that if, you know, we have the gift of a diagnosis and a timeline that people go, oh, you know, they are really taking their sitting in nature, they're drinking the tea, you know, they're like with their tea or coffee and soaking up every second as much as they can. That's the honoring that I'm trying to describe. And so joyriding for me is something that I'm always trying to get people to do. It's like just, it doesn't cost anything, you know, take the things that bring you joy, honor them every day. And you'll watch like your happiness and your sense of peace really, really increase. And then off the back of that, when you feel great, because you're doing the things that you love. I mean, it's just, it's just not rocket science, right? Like do the things that bring you joy and you'll feel more joyful. Like, you know, <laughs> how do I be a happy person? Do the things that make us happy. And then what comes off the back of that is more clarity because it's challenging to feel good and clear when we're all foggy and hazy. So um, joyriding for me is such a great gift of just like helping elevate happy hormones, feeling good every day then it, we get more clarity and then we tend to have a cluster and do more of the things that make us feel good once we're on that trajectory. So when I read that chapter actually in your book and I loved that, and I hadn't heard the term joyriding, but last year I did this because it was the height of, you know, COVID kind of meltdown stuff. And so May for me has always been a really shitty month. 
and it's when, you know, my mum died and then my dad died, like, you know, in May as well. Like I had lots of different bad things that happened in May. So it's always been a month that I've always, you know, really hated and just kind of get down in the dumps when it's coming. And so I decided to flip it and I thought, well, instead of having that, let's bring to your point, like journaling, I was sort of trying, I'm not a journalist. So I tried all that sort of stuff, you know, doing something every day, gratitude journals. I'm like, oh, that doesn't work for me. But I do meditate and I decided to do May moments of joy. So instead of, you know, getting so wound up and overwhelmed with all the anniversaries and the things that I'd get really sad about through that month, I was like, let's actually just celebrate a little tiny moment every day that actually I thought, oh, this, you know, amazing 48 hour, beautiful bread toast with you know melting butter and honey is just like oh my god this is like my idea of heaven today and so that was one little moment and I literally posted about it so I made myself accountable on insta I was like right may moments of joy and I did it for the whole entire month and what you were saying there just brings that back for me about the more I did it the more I saw more moments every month and every day of other things that were little moments of joy and the happier I got, the more that spread to others and other people sort of came on that journey with me. It was a beautiful thing. And yeah, it just sort of took me back there then. It's um, so easy to do really, but you just have to be mindful about it. And claim it, you know, like particularly, you know, as a, if you're self-employed or you're a parent or, you know, you've got a really demanding job or you're looking after for someone, someone that's ill. Like if you're in those high pressure situations, it's really easy to go, I don't have time. Like I'm trying to look after other people. I don't have time to look after myself. And when we actually go, you know what, in order for me to actually really be of service here in the world, I really need to take care of myself because we all know what burnout and running on empty looks like. And we become pretty much pretty useless. Or I have in my experience, (laughs) you know, push myself so hard, suffer such burnout that then I'm really not, you know, I'm not at my personal best, let alone functioning well. And so that, you know, anticipating that in order to offset the types of lives that we live, we need to actually carve out that time and that space for ourselves so that we can continue on the trajectory. For me, what I'm always trying to share with students is like, no, actually prepare, you know, be prepared. And you don't need to actually quit your job and run away and live on a desert island or go live in a van, you know, van life. And you can still continue to live the life you live and just start to incorporate really great tools that will support your life and then watch yourself shift and transform and then start making more educated decisions on how you want to live. It's all a process of building on it, isn't it? Like every one of those little things that you do builds upon another one. And it is that like you get the dopamine hit and, you know, the hormone kind of you're feeling better and it all just kind of cycles through each other, doesn't it? Yeah, well, there's this big messaging on, you know, particularly on social media, which is like, you know, live your dreams and quit the life you have. And, you know, I'm like, hey, it's not feasible for so many people, but also, or what about really land in the life you have? You know, like what about instead of fantasizing about this like imaginary life, you know, where you're going to be like, you know, blogging from a laptop on a beach. What about actually going, this is my life and what can I do to support myself within it rather than spending my time being completely strung out and then fantasizing about something really unrealistic that's unlikely to happen. That is just gold kind of piece of advice jack today like i'm just going to take that with me it's just such a great point because we're always looking it doesn't matter who you are what your life is like you're always looking at you know the grass is greener what are they doing over there i could be better and especially if you are a driven self-employed kind of person like your whole nature is to make your business better and be better every day so it's a natural kind of philosophy that you have in life so often you're like okay how do i make my life better rather than actually 
how do I be better today in what I've already got and do, you know, accelerate that and build upon that. I just think it's a beautiful point. Yeah, and start now. I, yes. I notice it a lot because we yeah. host meditation retreats and people kind of like save up themselves until they get on the meditation retreat. And, you know, they'll almost stop practicing meditation because they know the retreat is coming <laughs> and they'll immerse themselves in it then, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 like start now, like just do commit every day. Like every day is an opportunity. And it's one that if we can really land in that day, land in who we are, you know, start with what we've got, you know, not like, well, the reality is that then we never end up doing it until you know, we get to a point like usually trauma or some, you know, big crux moment in our life, or, you know, we face plant really heavily, break every bone on the way down, you know, that kind of like real, you know, big middle, like some sort of crisis. And then we get serious about those things. But I'm like, Leslie, we've got to just start now today, honoring today. Who can I be today with what I've got available? I don't need to necessarily go and like acquire more and I'll be happy later on, or I'll be a better person later on. It's like, no, what about just deal with today. And like, to your point, like I am that like self-employed, super ambitious, always have been worked in creative industries and love, you know, really throwing myself into it. But you can become so forward projecting that you forget to land in the day now. It's like success later, you know, and it's like, no, 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 like it's every day. The key thing I keep, I mean, so I tell others, but I also have to remind myself often is having that, you know, playful approach. And I think rather than, you know, us always thinking it's got to be right before we do it or before we launch or whatever, just go, actually, just have a playful approach and go, well, this is a draft. Or like if you're writing, you know, you've written a couple of books, it's like the shitty first draft, you know, just get it out there, have a play, be kind to yourself. And that kind of helps you, you know, to be kind to others as well. So I wanted to sort of touch on that with your book. It's called The 14-Day Mind Cleanse and it's your step-by-step detox for more clarity, focus and joy, which I love. What are the key elements that you think, you know, that you wanted people to come out of this? Because everything you're talking about makes complete sense to me. And, you know, the world that we've been living in the last couple of years, I think everyone has a lot of brain fog. So what are the kind of key components of what you wanted to really shift with people with this book? The thing that I was noticing more and more was that people were frequently describing themselves as overwhelmed as just like a continual. Like that wasn't like I'm having a moment of overwhelmed. It's I am overwhelmed as this like a theme that just keeps going on and on and on. And I feel when it comes to the body, like nutrition and strength, we're great. You know, we're like, oh, we get, I've got to exercise. I've got to, you know, eat well. And I might go on a juice cleanse or a detox. But then when it comes to the mind, which is the very thing informing a lot of the time, the health of the body, we're not tending to it. So, I mean, emotional health and mental health, I've seen huge, like a spike in interest in that since COVID, which has been one of the silver linings as people are starting to take their mental health really seriously. I mean, keep people in four walls for long enough without distraction and contact with the outside world. And you, you, you're face to face with really who you are. And it's not always a pretty experience. So with the book, it was basically a little guide to start to understand like some of the philosophy and some of the science behind the power of the mind, but also really applicable tools and what to do about that. You know, I'm really fatigued of reading books that talk about how amazing meditation is or talk about how this stuff is important, but they don't give you any tools. It's like, cool, now I've read this massive book. I don't know how to meditate, you know, or I don't know what to do. And especially A-types, they're like, I'm supposed to meditate. It's supposed to clear my mind. It's not fucking working. Like, you know, because you're like, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> In today's world, with the way our minds are structured and what's going on, I, sitting down and trying to clear your mind of thoughts, A, is neurologically impossible, but it's also it can create quite a stressful experience for the user. So I teach a mantra based practice in the book, which is what I primarily 
teach because it's so beautifully integrated into daily modern life with the modern mind to have a little anchor when you meditate. But for anyone listening, if you think, oh no, I can't meditate, I've tried, you just haven't tried the right technique yet because I thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. Actually, I thought I might do a little solo episode because I um, did a post interview the other day with someone and she's right in the thick of her cancer journey as well. And we had a bit of a chat after our interview and she was struggling. And I said, it was not until a practitioner or a, a teacher actually drew it on a whiteboard and drew the theory behind meditation that it finally clicked for me, which just says everything about my brain and the way things work. So it was like, you know, the way they described it and drew it. And I was like, oh, now it makes sense. And and then that was a game changer for me. So I thought I might actually share that. But you'll have some great tips in the book, I think, anyways. It's wild for me that someone would be like, oh, I'm just going to like teach myself to meditate. It can be really tricky. You face a lot of hurdles. You need some guidance. It's like exercising. You know, you have a personal trainer, very different experience with someone guiding you through than it is just the winging it at the gym. It's a really good point. You know, I've never thought of that actually having someone, because I think when I started to so my cancer journey was like 20 years ago, it probably wasn't as prevalent and you did probably have to just teach yourself because, you know, there wasn't the YouTubes or the, you know, social media that there is now. So I read a couple of books and just kept coming back to just do this. And this is how you meditate. And throughout the process, as I'm releasing to your point, like you're cleansing your brain and releasing those thoughts that are coming up, then I'd get distracted and then I'd go off on a tangent, you know, and think, oh, I need to do that today. Oh, did I turn the iron off? Did I have I done this? And I'm like, stop it. You're supposed to be meditating. <laughs> Not realizing that is actually part of the process. Yeah. Like knowing that release, bring yourself back through the mantra and back into the cycle. And yeah, it was a really good experience. But I've never thought about the fact that actually you should learn from someone about meditating. So um, thank you for that. And hopefully people listening, that will help them as well. So you do a bit of stuff on your Instagram, don't you? Is it the broad place is the best place for people to find you? Yeah, the broad place is our Insta. And what other things does a broad place do? We're so excited to be back doing retreats because they're one of my favorite things, leading people through an experience. So we've got one in India actually in October this year, which is just going to be a delight. And I do a lot of mentoring with people one-on-one. -on -one. So working with people on how to get more clarity around who they are and what they're doing in their lives and then how to really support themselves through that process. So I work a lot with people if they're going through a transition. That seems to be a really common theme. It's one of my you know favorites when you're kind of going through something that you think, Ooh, this is the worst situation that you end up looking back on. If you can go through it with the right support, you will end up looking back and going, actually, that was fantastic. I, I learned so much. And so I also do workshops and work with workplaces a lot. So I'll work with companies and brands across with their whole teams, sometimes just their leadership team, but sometimes it trickles down. We do workshops with the whole teams. And that work I just adore because the work I do is, is a little bit different and left of field to what traditional leadership is. I'm less about making each person in the room, you know, leadership is generally about like, you know, them leading other people the best they can. Um, I'm having the approach that I think if they can be the best person they can be, they then therefore going to be a better leader because if they can understand themselves to a much greater depth, if they understand what makes them tick and what makes them flat and what makes them alive and what makes them feel on purpose and what systems can they employ to support themselves, then by nature, they're more inspiring, more creative, and more dynamic. And therefore people will look to them as leaders, but also then there's the skills and the tools that sit around alongside that. So I sort of so sometimes find that particularly in modern leadership, it's like the cart before the horse. It's dealing on like, what's the tools? How do they lead? Where I'm like, they've got to know themselves first. Mm, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Really oh. clear. 
I can't agree with you more. We did some work in that, you know, I was thick in the corporate kind of world and it was groundbreaking at the time, but it really made a shift, massive shift on all kind of our executive level and, you know, the team sort of under them for them to actually realise that, you know, we're people first and foremost and we bring our whole selves to work. You know, gone are the days that we used to compartmentalise that stuff. You know, this is your work face, this is your home face, this is your, you know, your mates when you're at the pub face. So it's actually, we are all of those people and, you know, the more that we can bring that into the work, the better jobs we'll do because we're more authentic, we're better leaders, you know, people relate to us more, our customers, our clients, our staff. So you're spot on. And I think a lot of people have shied away from that for years. So the work you're obviously doing in that space is making some big differences, which is great. Yeah, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, when people talk about gratitude and, you know, it's like, oh, I gratitude journal. I'm like, no, gratitude's got to get really detailed. You can't kind of like, I'm grateful for my health. It's like, what aspect of your health, you know, like get really finite. And in the work that I do, that is one of the things I'm really grateful for. Like seeing people really open up and transform and have those aha moments. And then that confidence increases with the clarity. They go together. They're sort of like cousins, you know, we need one with the other. We want more confidence and we want more clarity, but they go, they, we work on one and the other one comes. They, they sort of partner up always. So grateful to be doing this work it's it's amazing I could talk to you all day you know there's so many different you know threads that we're pulling here which is lovely so it's just been an absolute delight thank you so much for chatting with us today and I'll put all the show notes about uh, how people can find you and your books and everything in in the um, show notes as well but it's just divine hopefully I'll get up to uh, Mullum sometime soon or you get down to Palmy to come visit that sounds amazing thank you so much Michelle thanks Jay Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, Hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.